Hey, Dr. Mike here. So if you want to live forever-ish, you got to know what's in and what's not. Stay tuned to find out. You're listening to Live Forever-ish, a show dedicated to helping you live just a little longer. Here's your hosts, Dr. Mike and Dr. Crystal Gosser. All right, welcome to Live Forever-ish. This is um, the ins and outs of living strong, vibrant, long lives. And on today's show, we're going to talk about polycystic ovarian syndrome, PEA for pain, kimchi, and what you don't want, an overactive bladder. Dr. Crystal, this is one of our favorites. I know. I love the latest and greatest health information. We talk about it all the time, and it's nice to be able to share it with our listeners. Right, right. And this is a lot of the stuff we, we you know, share. It's it's this is up to date stuff. This often comes from reviews and studies that are brand new and 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 coming out uh, be, uh, being published. So let's get started and talk about the first one. I mentioned we're going to talk about polycystic ovarian syndrome and specifically how omega threes might be helpful. Yes, it's a little bit about this. Well, uh, first, let's just talk about PCOS. I think that's a good place to start. Great, Dr. Mike. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, PCOS, um, uh, we 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 know, well, we actually talked about this before with a, a guest a few podcasts ago. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it, but it really boils down to insulin issues and sugar issues, right? Right. Most people, uh, women are diagnosed by their, their gynecologist. They're probably on birth control. Uh, but as our speaker, or as our last podcast guest mentioned, that was uh, Dr. E. Fret Lamandre. Oh, that's also, right. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. E. Yeah. Dr. E. Uh, she said it's more of it's a metabolic issue, which makes sense that omega threes could potentially be be helpful. It's an endocrine issue, impacts women's a woman's reproductive, metabolic, mental health. Uh, also can cause menstrual irregularities, fertility issues, um, and many other conditions. And what you find is this metabolic uh, syndrome that occurs as well. And it all stems back to uh, elevated insulin. And most people, you know, the, the insulin resistance type of PCOS, uh, we do see about 50 to 70 percent of women with PCOS uh, accompanied with this insulin resistance. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, just in my opinion, you when, so when they get tested for these, uh, uh, for it, uh, doctors should be checking fasting insulin, all that kind of stuff. And here's the thing that I think all, all doctors need to remember. If somebody has the symptoms and somebody maybe has proven ultrasound PCOS, but maybe their insulin level isn't high, it doesn't matter. You you see it that you you can see that they have PCOS, and 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 it, it, it and they do have an insulin issue, even though the labs may not totally support. Right. Yes. You you do see that, and it's such a complex um, syndrome. I think the 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 word syndrome is nice in this case. Sometimes we don't like those health concerns that they classify it as a syndrome, uh, which sometimes makes it seem like it's not real. But this is real. It's a syndrome because people present differently in different ways. Sometimes you do have the cysts. Sometimes the cysts aren't present. Um, and, and But one thing that we do know, omega-3s can help. They do. 
And so this was a review of several randomized controlled trials looking at the effect of omega-3s on insulin metabolism, lipid metabolism in women with PCOS. So this is a an intent to, uh, to treat type of uh, study, an intervention type of study. Um, I think 11 RCTs? Yes. Yeah. yeah, 11, about a little over 800 patients. Tell us what they found. Yeah, so compared with the control group, women who received the omega-3 supplements experienced reductions in waist circumference, uh, fasting plasma insulin, which is often not tested, <laughs> fasting glucose, insulin resistance, triglycerides, total cholesterol, and LDL. So again, compared to the control group, in these 11 studies, so this was a meta-analysis that that kind of evaluated the results uh, found in these uh, 11 studies and kind of pulled the results together. Compared to the control group, the omega-3s experienced reductions in all of those parameters. And I think that just amazing because you do find women who have PCOS have uh, central abdominal obesity, more of that visceral fat. Um, their triglycerides are through the roof. LDLs high, cholesterols high. I mean, it's the full-on metabolic syndrome presentation, including elevated blood pressure. So to see that the something as simple as the omega threes. You know, it's a foundation nutrient for us, Dr. Mike. I, I've been taking it for years every single day, and I know you have too, <laughs> right? And they, they were taking this, I think, for at least eight weeks was the average or something. Um, right. And, and at least a 1,000 milligrams of omega, which I know we both think that's a little low, actually. <laughs> right. So just when they kind of look at the subgroups, um, that's the, the dose greater than a thousand milligrams of the omega threes was, was where they really saw, uh, those, From, see some the of of those benefits for at least eight weeks. So give it a try again. That was published in the journal of ovarian research, March, 2023. So again, new research. I, I said, I'm going to, I, and I, I don't, you don't have to agree with me or not, but I, I think you sh if you're listening to this and this is something you're interested in, try and talk to your doctor first, right? Oh, we know um, I think you should at least target at least 2,000 milligrams, probably up. That's kind of our standard foundational dose rate, right? Right. Omega that's total uh, omega-3 fats. And then, of course, that breaks down into EPA and DHA. Yeah, and, and DHA. All right. Well, there you go. PCOS and omegas. Let's move on to something. I don't know if people know this. We, I, I, we have talked about it before um, in the past. It's PEA, it's a naturally occurring fat. Um, it's it's found in some food, but it's made made um, um, by your body. And turns out, it might be pretty good for chronic pain management, which is very challenging to treat. Very true. We've talked about PEA. I think it's it's been years, Doctor Mike. I don't think we give PEA enough shine. Yeah. Uh, we are uh, talking about it more as it relates to pet health, but that, that'll be in another podcast, I'm sure, uh, helping with uh, supporting uh, joint comfort in our furry friends. But yeah. it also can support uh, comfort in humans as well. And it's an up-and-coming uh, fatty acid. And this is also... Uh, what we're reviewing is a systematic and uh, meta-analysis. 
Yeah. Again, it's that collection of studies, right? We talk about these a lot. It's it's pooling of data. You're getting more, more people, more subjects, and the more more of all of that, the, the more you can have confidence in 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 the results at the right. end at the end of the right. day. Yeah. So this. Um, so what are we finding this? So we had. Um, I I think. The PEA uh, was studied, and in, in, so they were looking for studies where you had PEA in comparison to placebo or something they were already taking. We call that an active control, say like ibuprofen. Is that correct? That is correct. There was uh, in the, the the collection of studies. Uh, there were also eleven studies selected. Now, that's a coincidence. It's so funny when you look at uh, these meta-analyses. They usually start off with hundreds of oh, studies. Oh, yes. Yeah, but what yeah. I like about uh, these researchers, they excluded a study if it was not double-blinded. They right. excluded animal model studies. They, I mean, they, they looked at bias in the studies to determine whether or not it, it, fit the care the the criteria to be included in their meta-analysis so in another the the lucky number 11 is that a lucky number i don't know I don't think so i don't i mean i guess anybody you could have your own lucky number if you want it to be 11 that's fine but, <laughs> but yeah, 11 coincidence yeah and so they looked at, um, uh, uh, you know, pain caused from things like gynecological disorders, neurologic, carpal tunnel. I have the list here. MS, uh, neuropathy, specifically from diabetes, joint issues, knee issues, irritable bowel. And then, of course, they say others. But I think a key point um, I think we should make is, um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that chronic pain really wasn't considered a, a condition or disease. It was just it was just an extension of the original insult or disease, right? But now right. we're really starting to see chronic disease as something that should. There may have been an initiation, there may be a, a main reason, but think of chronic pain as its own entity, and focus on not just treating maybe the arthritis, but also doing things like PEA for the chronic pain at the same time. I agree, um, and it's nice to see a variety of studies. I don't think that when out of the eleven studies, there was no particular study or, or type of pain that was focused on more, which is why you see that long list. Each study was was identifying PEA's effect for that particular health concern, and um, and so going back to where you were talking about that active control, one of the eleven studies did compare PEA to ibuprofen. Which Very common. Yeah. It's just amazing. The rest were compared to placebo. Um, but we did have one where it compared it to ibuprofen. You know, people take that in in the study, 600 milligrams three times a day was the ibuprofen dose compared to the PEA. And uh, there was a significant reduction uh compared to ibuprofen after 14 days. Yep. And that's, so that's, that, so that's quick too. That's quick. Right. Right. Yeah. So PEA, um, in, in the, so the overall conclusion is PEA, again, this natural fat, um, I don't, we don't need to get into exactly how it's working, but it's working with something that's um, called immune modulated inflammation, right? It's coming from certain, this inflammation is a little different than systemic. It's driven from these immune cells that remain too 
active at the site, et cetera, et cetera. I think one of the cells are called mast cells, right? And so PEA is this natural fat that your body uses to control all that a little, right? And so we're just giving you a little more and it, it does it does seem to work. So compared to placebo, PEA was great. And then even compared to ibuprofen, it was better. I mean, at the end of the day. Right. And nice. No major side effects in yeah. the PEA studies. Yeah. I know a lot of people, too, with um, things like fibromyalgia, some of these kind of chronic pain conditions. I have a friend who's going through this. And, you know, a lot of the mainstream medicine focuses on the fact that there, there's an inflammatory component to, like, say, fibromyalgia, which is what she has. And and that may be, I'm not saying that's not true. That I think there is some evidence for that. Um, however, when she does all of her labs, her inflammatory markers aren't elevated. They they look okay. So then they're like, well, maybe this is a in product, you know, fibromyalgia. And I, I was telling her about this. I was like, you know what? It could be an immune modulated inflammation. And you yeah. may not see a rise in some of those common systemic um, inflammatory markers like CRP as an example. So I'm going to make sure she tries this. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Safe and, 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 and a lot of good um, um, research on that. All right. So that was in number two. In number three, ooh, I love some kimchi. Oh, you do? Oh, I love kimchi. I love Me. the hot, spicy kimchi, too. For sure. Yeah. Me and you are spicy. We like that. <laughs> now, uh, the life extension in our health and wellness market, we sell a really good uh, spicy kimchi. Yeah. Life and clean. Just, I love the way it, the flavor, the taste, the the crunch, the even the little gassiness to it. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. No, not not, not in me. I mean, in the, when you're eating it, it's like it's alive. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dr. Yeah. Crystal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that does happen sometimes. But no, I'm talking about it's it's fermented. It's fermentation is is that's great way to get nutrition and you know, cook and work with food, right? Yeah, I think it's a fun way to get your vegetables. Kimchi is a traditional Korean side dish uh, consisting of salted and fermented vegetables, most often cabbage. I've never seen it commercially available with anything other than cabbage. Yeah. Um, but it's salty, it's sour from the vinegar that's produced through the fermentation process. It's definitely savory with all of the garlic and the, the ginger mm -hmm. and the scallion. Mm -hmm. You're and making me hungry. Chili flakes. <laughs> fish sauce. Oh, it is just yeah. an amazing yeah. delight. If you've and never it's good. Yeah, listen, these fermented foods like that, they're good for your stomach. They're good for your digestion overall. They help to improve microbiome environment. I mean, this is fermented foods. They've been, this is for millennia. Uh, yes. Because it was a way to preserve things, but it was also very helpful at you know at the end of the day, right? What's now when you look at a kim when you had a serving of kimchi, what what kind of you know being the doctor of clinical nutrition, what kind of nutrients are we like? What's 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 the what am I getting out of that? Well, you're getting all of the the live bacteria, right. the beneficial gut bugs, right? That's produced through that lacto uh, fermentation. You're also getting protein, fiber, vitamin K is produced during that fermentation process. Uh, live enzymes, folate, iron, vitamin C, uh, B6. I mean, it's just jam-packed with nutrition. Yeah, it's so good. And it's it's low overall. I mean, you get carbs from the veggies, but um, 
because they don't add it's just water and salt basically right they're not adding sugars and stuff but i, I don't think they are because i don't think the sugar content's very high in any of Right. No, no, no. Because the, the bacteria takes the, the sugar naturally found in the vegetables and then converts that. So you're not getting uh, the sugar. Uh, of course, you'll, you'll get some salt. So if you're salt sensitive, maybe you should be careful with the salt content. But you are just getting lots of, of vitamins, minerals, some protein, and it's low calorie because at the end of the day, you're eating vegetables, Doctor. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is. It, it will, and it's and it's fermentation. So it's vegetables and fermentation. Two great ways to stay healthy, right? Yeah. So we had a uh, hundred people. Uh, this is in the Journal of Medicinal Food, 2013. hundred people consumed uh, fifteen to two hundred and ten grams. That's a pretty big range. <laughs> That's a pretty, it's a pretty big range daily for just one week, and they experienced decreases in blood sugar and total cholesterol. Yeah, of course, and, the more they eat, the better the result. Yeah, I don't mind the range because that means I don't have to. My kids are not a fan of kimchi because it's stinky. Yes, <laughs> they will. They will. Not that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then and, and you mentioned the salt content, too. For those that are salt sensitive, maybe you're watching salt intake. You, you, do, you can still eat it, just maybe do half the serving or right. something like that, right? Okay. And then there was another study, right? This is the Journal of Nutrition Research from 2011. This was an overweight, right? Yeah, 22 uh, overweight people, a small study, but it's just showing um, that kimchi, yeah, there is some research. Those overweight individuals uh, added kimchi to their diets for four weeks. It led to a reduction in body weight, body mass index, and body Fat also a decrease in blood sugar levels and improvements in blood pressure sure. reading. Uh, How about that? Yeah. And I wonder, I, I think a lot of that body um, composition result is, I mean, we could we could theorize like what's going on, but some of it is maybe the kimchi fills you up. Maybe you're not snacking as much, right? But then a better microbiome in the gut also is helpful for body composition. So I think it's probably working through a lot of different mechanisms. Wow. I mean, yeah. it could be that the capsaicin in the red chili. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's boosting the metabolism. I think there are several kind of mechanisms of action that just goes along with eating this this good fermented veggie. Yeah. So there you go. Those are the three ends. These are things you want to do, add to your diet. Um, I haven't had kimchi in a while. I'm thinking I might have to go out and get some. I know. To, you know, gotten it. Kind of made me hungry. Um, but now let's get into the thing that we call the out. This is what we don't want. Things we want to avoid, treat immediately, those kind of things. Because, the, you know, they're going to hamper your effort to live foreverish. And in this case, it's overactive bladder. Tell us about why we chose this. Well, it's a new study, uh, May of 2023, published in the Journal Nutrition Reviews. It's an association study. So we, we should probably make that clear that this is not a cause and effect type of relationship that we're seeing here. But in the systematic review and meta-analysis, it showed an association between higher vitamin D levels and a lower risk of overactive bladder or urinary incontinence. And I thought this was an important study to include because people aren't talking about overactive bladder as much as they should, I think, in, in I, 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 
dealing with this. They're embarrassed. They don't they don't want to bring that kind of stuff up with their doctors and they just kind of deal with it, right? They go and they buy what they need for adult diapers or whatever and they just kind of you know, they do their best to to stay to stay uh, active and stay doing things, but there are people uh, Dr. Crystal with the overactive bladder that be kind of like isolate. Yeah. Because they're always nervous. I know I have a couple friends that don't like to travel. They don't want to get on a plane because they're, you know, they're, they're going to have to use the bathroom like nonstop. And it's just, it's just, they don't, they don't like it. So I, I think it, you know, it's not just the physical component. There's a, there's a social and emotional uh, uh, component to it as well. Right. And, and so they're going nonstop. And then of course, there's this urgent need to empty the bladder as well. It may not be incontinence, but it, it's just that urgency. And I know people, Dr. Mike, as well. I have a friend, when we when we go somewhere, they have to identify the bathroom. Yes, yeah, I got yeah, Yeah. Where it is and, and make sure I can quickly get there. Yeah, so it's not, so now with this association, and again, I, I thought you you said it perfectly that it's not, this is not cause and effect. It's, listen, association or observational studies are important in science. It'll, it, it They're basically the things that drive hypothesis, right? So right. from this, you think, okay, here's this observation. They noticed um, people with the higher vitamin D levels had less prevalence of overactive bladder. So now you think, okay, could vitamin D be a treatment? You know, could we now do a study where we're giving certain increasing doses of vitamin D to different groups of people and seeing if there's actually a decrease in urgency? Exactly. Yeah, that's why associations um, studies are are uh, are really are really important. Was there anything interesting uh, that you wanted to talk about from this study? No, I think you kind of summarized it. You saw a, a two way. A connection that people who were deficient had a 30% greater risk of incontinence. So that is something to bring up because we talked about the overactive bladder doesn't necessarily mean incontinence. Yeah, right. We do see that connection. Uh, and that was compared to those who were not deficient. And then, you know, what you mentioned that uh, the effects of vitamin D supplementation there was a 66% lower risk of incontinence. So, uh, hey, vitamin D, it's another foundational nutrient, Dr. Mike, that we suggest people add it. If Basics. Not, you should. Yeah. If you haven't tested, you should. And and just make sure you're optimizing your levels. Ab- absolutely. Um, I was doing too much. Remember I told you that? My vitamin D level came back like 130 or something. Yes. Um, and my calcium level was up a little bit. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, just a little. You know, I was like, oh. Okay. So I stopped that uh, dose. I, I don't do quite as much now. And it's time for me to retest. Yes. Kind of see, kind of see where I'm at. So yeah, that's that's the one thing about vitamin D. It is, it's a, it's think of it as a hormone. And you, you, you want it, because that's really, it's a pro-hormone, right? That's kind of how it's classified. So you want to check those levels. And I always like to remind people, there is a vitamin D receptor on just about every different type of cell line or tissue in the human body. It, that means it's pretty important. <laughs> right. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably want to optimize those levels. But then we have some, there's three others. Um, um, this was from Dr. Tracy Siepel, right? Yeah. I, I just, uh, I, I included that just because of the, the conversation about the overactive bladder and 
you know, there are other things that can be helpful. Uh, and so just wanted to to give a, a thank you to Dr. Siepel. She's a naturopath and she has done a lot of research in this field of, of women's health, overactive bladder, uh, or, or lower urinary tract symptoms as a whole. And uh, there's some other herbs that I just wanted to shout out. Horsetail, Lindera, three-leaf caper. Right. Uh, that combination seems to be very beneficial for those looking for other nutrients to offer support. Right, perfect. There is your three ins and an out, right? This is this is how we're going to live forever-ish, right? Strong, vibrant, energetic lives. Um, you know, that's what Dr. Crystal and I, um, we shoot for. That's kind of our, yeah. that's our goal. We hope it's your goal too. Our sponsor, Life Extension, would like to thank our listeners with a special 10% off discount at lifeextension.com. Uh, all you got to do is go to lifeextension.com, buy what you want, go to your cart, um, and type in at checkout, podcast. That's it. Podcast. Uh, and you can redeem uh, 10% off. Um, at, at, you have to you have to spend at least 50, right? 50 bucks. And then you can get 10% off and free um, shipping on your entire order. So thank, thank Life Extension for that. And don't forget, we post every Monday, right? LiveForeverish.com. We have new podcasts, uh, well over 400 now. Go check it out. And when you do, download, like, uh, share, comment. Uh, and of course, subscribe so you never miss a show. That's liveforeverish.com. I'm Dr. Mike, and that's Dr. Crystal. Thanks for listening.